You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Lord God, would the words that we have just sung, would you make those the true reality and the reflection of our heart this morning, Lord? Lord, we stand in awe of you this morning. The holy God, to whom all praise, all glory, all honor is due. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you in all of creation. And Lord, this morning, we bow our hearts and our lives in your presence here today, Lord. And Lord, we call out to you this morning, Lord, We are a weak and needy people that need again to be visited by the greatness of our God and touched by his power, changed by his glory. And so, Lord, we pray this morning as we've often prayed, Lord, would you open up the heavens and would you come down this morning, Lord, in your power, Lord, in your glory, Lord, and touch our lives here this morning, Lord. Open our eyes to see the reality of who you are, Lord. And as you do that this morning, Lord, would you blow away every cloud of doubt and fear and insecurity, Lord? And would you show us Jesus this morning, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, show us your son this morning, we pray. Open our eyes to the reality of how great and glorious you are, Lord. Lord, come and do it again. Come and do it again, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab a seat this morning. Let's, uh, let's get our Bibles out, church, and uh, open them up to the book of Judges this morning. Uh, the book of Judges this morning, and we're going to be taking a look uh, this morning at the life of a guy named Gideon. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we'd love to get a copy of God's Word in your hand, so just put your hand up real high, keep it up. Uh, We'd love for you to follow along with us this morning in God's Word. And also, if you don't have a Bible at home, listen, take that Bible home. That is our gift for you. We would be blessed. You would be blessed to have a copy of God's Word in your home. And so take that with you this morning. And so Judges chapter 6 And we're going to look at the life of Gideon. The title of this morning's message is this. It's time to step up. It's time to step up, overcoming the Gideon complex. This morning, we're going to to look at uh, not the whole life of Gideon, but we're going to look at a specific section of the life of Gideon, primarily his call to ministry for the service of the Lord. And maybe this morning, maybe you're here And maybe the weight of life, the responsibility of life, the pressures of life are great. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe there's a little bit of feeling overwhelmed going on in your heart and in your life this morning. And maybe there's a feeling 
of the responsibility that God has called me to, the responsibility that he's put in my hand. I am just not cut out for this. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're wondering, maybe you're in a place this morning wondering, how am I even gonna get through this summer? And listen, if, if that's you this morning, then this message is for you this morning. If you're here this morning and in any way you are feeling um, unable to do the things that God has called you to, too small, too insignificant, too ill-equipped, then this message is for you. And so listen, I think if we were honest, uh, that would be all of us this morning. Um, I stand up here in front of you this morning that is way too small for the task that is in front of me this morning of presenting God's word. And so that's us this morning. That's Gideon this morning. And as we dive into God's word here this morning, listen, I, I want you to be encouraged because this is an incredibly encouraging story. Yes, it's challenging, but it's encouraging at its heart because God comes alongside Gideon in an amazing way and he does this awesome work in his life where he takes him from a place of complete insecurity and he raises him up to do things that he never thought possible. And so maybe a, a summary statement for our passage this morning and for this message this morning. If I were to try to say it in one sentence, I, I think I'd say it this way. God chooses the inadequate, then equips them for leadership and he fulfills his promises so that he gets all the glory. God chooses the inadequate. And then he equips them for leadership. And he fulfills his promises so that he gets all the glory. And that's what we're going to see here this morning in Gideon's life. We're going to see how the Lord does that in Gideon and how the Lord wants to do that in each one of us here this morning and for the rest of our lives. So the passage that we're going to look at this morning in Judges 6, obviously it's in the book of Judges, and let me just take a second to spell out what's happening in the book of Judges at this time. And so just to set the book of Judges in history for you, uh, the book of Judges takes place after the children of Israel have entered the promised land, after Moses has died, after Joshua has died, but before Saul is king. And you'll read a phrase in the book of Judges quite often. It says, there was no king in the land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Listen, at this point in the book of Judges, things aren't going well in Israel. They're in the land, yes, uh, but idolatry is rampant. Sin is everywhere. The people are not following God. And listen, to be honest with you, at this point in the book of Judges, it's chaos in Israel. It's chaos, total chaos. And we see this pattern all throughout the book of Judges. Here's the pattern. The people sin. The people reject God. The people turn away from God. God sends invading people to oppress them. And then the people cry out to God. And God raises up a judge, a rescuer to set them free. And as we look at Gideon's life here this morning, that's what Gideon becomes in this morning's message. He becomes a rescuer, a judge who sets the people of Israel free from their oppressors. And in this passage right here in, in Judges chapter 6, 
We read that Israel is being plundered and oppressed by a group of people called the Midianites. The Midianites, we see that down in the first part of chapter six. And the Midianites were a neighboring country to the south. And the Midianites would come up, it says uh, in the earlier verses of chapter six, that they would come up like swarms of locusts over the land. They would devour everything in their path, their livestock, their camels, everything, their tents. They would move right in, take up residence in Israel and eat and destroy everything so that there was nothing left. No grain, no food, no livestock, nothing. And this is God's judgment on Israel to draw Israel back to himself. We read that in the early part of chapter six, but then at verse 11, the narrative takes a bit of a turn. It's a really interesting turn, and that's where we're going to start reading this morning. So if you're with me in Judges chapter 6, we're going to start reading at verse 11 and just read down a few verses. Judges chapter 6, 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Let's just pause right there for a second. We'll pick it up in a minute, but, but honestly, th- this is, is one of the most interesting greetings in all of the Bible. If you look at it closely, uh, you'll find that it's really quite funny. Uh, it's very ironic Maybe, I'm not sure, but maybe even slightly sarcastic, okay? There's a lot of irony happening here in this greeting as the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Now, now notice, notice where Gideon is at this time. Gideon is in a wine press. Okay, hands up if you know what a, what a wine press is. A few of us, okay. Um, and so let's get a picture of a wine press up on the screen. I think, we've, I think we've got one. All right, here's a picture of a wine press. And so what you'll notice is in this wine press, there's really two large chambers, one shallow and one's deep. Okay, Gideon is in one of those. And so he's in a pit, a stone pit. And he's, he's threshing wheat in this stone pit. And so that means that he's taking the stalks of wheat in a group and he's beating them in the pit, hoping to get the grain out and he's trying to clean the grain. Listen, you don't, you don't do that in a pit unless there's something going on. And so the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he, he comes up and he greets him with this great greeting. The Lord is with you. Well, that's pretty amazing. And we're gonna see a bit more of that in a few minutes. And then he calls him, O mighty man of valor. Listen, is Gideon a mighty man of valor at this point? No, not at all. He's hiding out in a wine press. He's afraid of the Midianites. Let's look down to verse 13. Verse 13, right after this, and Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel 
from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Notice what what Gideon says here in these verses. The Lord addresses him as a mighty man of valor. (laughs) What does Gideon say? Hey, hey, listen, you've got the wrong guy. It's not me. You've got the wrong guy. I'm not the mighty man of valor because the Lord, he's not even with us. And so first of all, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you. Right away, Gideon goes to work on that and says, no way, the Lord's not with us. At this point, Gideon has absolutely no idea who he's talking to. Okay, everybody agree with that? Everybody agree that that Gideon really does not understand he is speaking to the angel of the Lord at at this point? Yeah, he's he's got no idea, right? Okay, and so, so, so the angel of the Lord says this to Gideon, and Gideon responds in this way by saying, the Lord is definitely not with us. Take a look down at verse 15. Here comes the rest of it. Verse 15, and Gideon, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. Here's what Gideon says. Here's what Gideon says. Gideon says, you've got the wrong guy because I am weak. I am the weakest of the weak. In other words, Gideon's saying, listen, if they held uh, a world's weakest man competition in Israel right now, yeah, I'd win it every year. That's how weak I am. And, And you're calling me a mighty man of valor? Listen, you've got the wrong address. You ended up in the wrong place. And we see right here in Gideon's life that, that Gideon has his eyes on himself rather than on the Lord. And the reason that I want to dig into this passage with you this morning is because this passage is so relevant for my life, so relevant for your life. I stand up here today a weak man. I stand in front of you today as a mighty man of valor. When I look at myself today, I see so much more of Gideon in the pit than I do of the mighty man of valor that he becomes. And listen, I think if we were honest today, if we're just honest, just moment of honesty, mask off, if we were honest today, I think if we all looked inside at ourselves, we would see we're the same way. We struggle with fears. We struggle with insecurities. We struggle with our greatest enemy so often being ourselves. That's what Gideon's battling against right here. There's a ton of application in this passage for us this morning. Maybe you can see yourself here this morning. And so as we go through this passage, I don't want you just to think about a guy named Gideon that lived a few thousand years ago. I want you to think about how this relates to your own life with the circumstances that you are in right now. Listen, when God found Gideon, Gideon didn't possess any of the characteristics of a leader at all. He wasn't mighty. He was not a warrior. He he wasn't even brave. Listen, he wasn't even willing to do what God had told him to do right? Gideon's not on board with God's plan at this point. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, trying to hide out by flying under the radar if he can. Anybody familiar with that? Anybody uh, 
live like that some of the time, that we just try to get by by flying under the radar. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's at home, but, but you're, you're afraid, you're fearful to speak up for the Lord. You're fearful uh, of, of saying something or doing anything really for the Lord. Why? Because you're afraid of not only how people will respond or how they may reject you, but you're afraid of what might even come out of your own mouth. And one of your greatest accusers is the enemy who says, listen, who are you? Who are you to speak for the Lord? Do you remember what happened last Friday? Do you remember how you've failed this past week? Just shut up. Be quiet. And the enemy comes against us like that. Anybody feel that oppression in their life? Okay, honest, be honest. Okay, I'm the only one. That's all right. Okay, two other people. Good, great. Well, I'll preach to you guys then. That's good. All right. Okay, listen, if we're honest, yes, that's how the enemy comes against us, right? It, there's the fear of speaking for the Lord because we will be rejected, yes, but also the fear of, I'm not going to say it right. God's not going to use it. God's not going to show up in my life and work like he's worked in others' lives. Listen, that is exactly what Gideon is struggling with here. Notice how he first responded. First responded to God. He remembered all of the great things that God did in the past, but said, he's not going to do it again. He's not going to do it in my life. He remembered how God brought Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, but he said, he doesn't work like that anymore. He's not going to do that here. Listen, application for our own lives right here. Huge application for our own lives right here. Do you believe that God is done working in your life, that the greatest work that God has done in your life is in the past. If you believe that, you're in Gideon's place right now. The greatest work that God has done in your life is not in the past. It's in the future. Look to him and trust him for it, okay? Let's dig into this. Let's, let's check this out a little bit more. The first thing that we really need to see in this passage to help us to understand it is this, point number one. Point number one in our message, God chooses the inadequate. God chooses the inadequate. At this point in the story, Gideon is, he's completely inadequate for the responsibility that the Lord is gonna give him. He, he does not measure up at all. Um, totally unqualified, but God takes totally unqualified people and he raises them up to do great things for his glory. Listen, we see this truth highlighted in scripture all over the place, don't we? Think back, think back uh, to the book of Exodus. Uh, think, think about Moses, okay? I just read that passage again this week, encouraging passage, uh, because Moses is a lot like Gideon. Gideon's a lot like Moses. Moses, full of excuses. God meets him in the wilderness, in a burning bush, and appears to him through the fire of the burning bush and speaks to him and reveals all of his greatness and all of his glory and says, listen, Moses, I've got a mission for you. Um, are you in? And Moses is like, no. <laughs> He's like, excuse one, excuse two. Okay, God solves those. Excuse three, God solves that one. Excuse four, uh, I can't talk very well. I'll take care of that. I made your mouth. I think I can help you to speak here. Um, and Moses is like, yeah, it... Yeah, just find someone else. Wow. Moses, unqualified, 
totally unqualified. Gideon, unqualified, inadequate to do the things that he's called to do, that God has set him apart to do. Listen, me, inadequate, unqualified to do the work that God has given me to do as a father and as a leader of ministries, totally unqualified, totally inadequate. But here's the beautiful thing. God chooses the inadequate. God chooses the inadequate and he raises up the inadequate in his own way. God chose Gideon. God picked Gideon and I don't believe it was by accident. God chose him on purpose. See, this is where God is totally, totally unlike us, isn't he? We choose on the basis of skill, on the basis of knowledge, on the basis of leadership ability. Think if you were the CEO of a big company and you were hiring somebody for a job, would you hire Gideon? I'd say no, no way, okay? That guy's hiding out, trying to fly under the radar. He's got no leadership ability whatsoever, right? But God's totally unlike us. God doesn't choose based on our past failures. God doesn't discard us based on our past sins and weaknesses. God doesn't limit us or our usefulness based on our present insecurities. And God doesn't choose, hear this, God doesn't choose based on our human potential. God didn't choose Gideon because he had a lot of potential. God chose Gideon specifically because he was weak and inadequate, and he was going to do this awesome transforming work in his life to raise him up to be a leader so that when God delivered the people of Israel, only God would get the glory. That's why he chose Gideon. That's why he chooses us. Listen, God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the wise Isn't our God awesome? Isn't he great? Isn't that encouraging? Man, this is encouraging to me that God chooses the inadequate. I'm like, hey, I'm inadequate. Okay, you can choose me, God, right? Right? That's encouraging to me, super encouraging because God doesn't write us off because we failed in the past. God doesn't write us off because we have fears in the present. And God doesn't write us off because, you know, we don't think that he can accomplish all the things that he wants to accomplish through us. God does an amazing work to get us on board with his plan and to use us for his glory. At this point, Gideon has none of the necessary uh, leader qualities. Here's a few things. He has no vision. He has no hope. He has no motivation He's discouraged, he's disillusioned, he's doubting, and he's afraid. And if you look at this chapter really closely and you follow the narrative through, what you're going to see is that you're going to see that Gideon is primarily motivated here in this passage by fear, by the fear of man and the fear of self. Listen, Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Listen, Gideon's caught in the snare. 
He's caught in the snare of the fear of man. And listen, if we're honest this morning, how many of us would actually say if the masks were off, if we were open and authentic and real with one another, not hiding anything, how many of us would say, hey, I'm, I'm caught. I'm caught in that snare. You know, I'm caught in that snare. I've been caught in that snare. I get caught in the snare of the fear of man. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Verse 15, we see that, that Gideon doubts that the Lord can save Israel through him. And that's exactly what the Lord wants to do in this passage. He wants to do the exact thing that Gideon does not believe God for. He wants to do it, and he wants to do it so that he will get the glory. I want to just kind of pause here just for a second. I want to make sure that we really, you know, get this. I think there's a lot of application here in this passage for us, for our lives today, for us individually here in the church in 2016, and for us personally this morning. I want to ask the question, what, what do you think the source of Gideon's fear is in this passage? What do you think the real source of his fear is? Okay, is it the Midianites, the oppressing people? Is that the main one? Is that the main one that's got him hung up? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no on that one. I'm going to say, yeah, he's afraid of the Midianites. Yes, he's afraid of the oppression but I think there's something more going on here in this passage, and I think we see it really in verse 15. In verse 15, we see that Gideon labels himself as being the weakest of the weak, right? Gideon's ultimate source of fear in, in, in this passage, I really believe, is himself. He's more afraid of himself than anything else. This is what, what I would call the Gideon complex, okay? Gideon's got it. He's, he's got the Gideon complex. That's why I called it that, okay? Uh, because it's so clear in his life. This is his primary fear. His fear is that he is weak. His fear is that he is unable. His fear is that he can't do it. And his fear is that God is not gonna use him to accomplish anything great. Gideon complex, okay? He, he's got it. Name that because his name's Gideon. All right, okay, listen if we're honest today, be honest today. Be honest with yourself today. Be honest before the Lord today. Be honest with your church today, okay? We're in church right now, right? Okay, this is a good spot to start being honest, isn't it? Okay, you're probably not gonna find a much more safe place than this, all right? Um, so, so be honest today. If, if you're honest, okay? Maybe I'll say that once more. Okay, be honest, okay? All right, if you're honest today, uh, how many of you would say that, hey, I've got a little bit of the Gideon complex in me, okay? I got to put my Bible down because I got both my hands up on this one, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got the Gideon complex in me. I'm fearful. I'm weak. That's not the only problem. The problem is, is that I know that I'm fearful and weak. And because I know that I'm fearful and weak, I then tend to jump to the next conclusion that I don't believe God can use me or will use me for the things he wants to use me for. See the problem there? I limit God in all of his goodness, in all of his sovereignty. I put a cap on God saying, you can't do the things that you want to do in my life because I am not personally capable, strong enough, 
or qualified to do these things. Wow. Wow. Think about the idolatry there. And I'm not diagnosing your heart right now. I'm diagnosing mine. Think about the idolatry that's going on right there. I am saying in that, God, you are unable, though I understand you are the greatest being in the universe, you are unable to do these things in me because of me and my failures and my shortcomings. That's idolatry. That's exalting self above God. And I, I think that this is important for us this morning because I think that if we're honest, we've all got a bit of that in us. And I really believe this morning that God wants to root that out and God wants to pull that out. And yes, it's gonna be hard and yes, it's gonna hurt. But listen, it's gonna be good. It's gonna be good when the Lord sets us free from our insecurities, when he sets us free from our fears, when he sets us free from ourself. And so let's see how God does that in Gideon's life this morning because God does that. He does that in a really, really interesting way in this passage. But, but I don't think that he just does it in this way in Gideon's life. I really believe that God does it in this way in all of our lives. There's a few specific things in this passage that God does to change Gideon and to get him on board with his plan and to give him courage. Let's take a look at them. As we start to dig into them, why don't you go ahead and jot this down. Point number two in our message. Point number one was that God, that God, uh, he, God chooses the inadequate. Point number two is that God qualifies the unqualified. God qualifies the unqualified. Gideon, totally unqualified, okay? We totally unqualified for the responsibilities that God has called us to, whatever they look like, okay? We, we don't have it in and of ourselves. We need God to help us in these things. And so God goes about qualifying, equipping Gideon in a very specific way. It's pretty cool. I want us to uh, pick it up as we dig into the text. Why don't we start at verse 16 and read down a little bit to see how God qualifies the unqualified. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your, your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. And at this point, Gideon goes, he goes back to his house and he prepares a meal for the angel of the Lord and he gets that all ready and he brings it back and the angel of the Lord is still there and he, he brings this meal before the angel of the Lord and it's pretty cool uh, what happens here. The angel of the Lord says to Gideon, hey Gideon, Put the food on a rock. Put the food on the rock right over there and pour the broth over it. We all get how that works, okay? If you put food on a rock and you pour broth over it, it's wet, right? Okay, good. Um, and then the angel of the Lord reaches out his staff, the tip of his staff, and he touches the food and it bursts into flames, devours it, gone completely. Whoa. And then the angel of the Lord 
vanishes from Gideon's sight. That's amazing. There's quite a few things that God did right in that little chunk of scripture to equip Gideon. I wanna look at them specifically, three things. I'm gonna give you three things here that God does to equip his people, to qualify his people for the ministry and the responsibility that he has given them. Three things, how God equips his people. First thing, he gives us his promise. He gives us his promise. Second thing, he reveals to us his presence. He reveals to us his presence. Third thing, he works through his power. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through these one at a time, okay? We're just going to take a close look at them one at a time because this is what God does in our lives. This is what God has done in your life or wants to do in your life to get you on board with the plan that he has for your life, to use you as a witness for Jesus Christ to all peoples, all nations, wherever that may lead you, whatever capacity that may be, this is what God wants to do in your life. He wants to do these three things to get you on board with what he wants you to do and me to do. And so let's take a look at them. Let's take a look at the first one. He gives us his promise. First, God gives Gideon a promise here in verse 16. Notice it. But I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Listen, five words. Five words are essential for us here. You can count them. One, I, two, will be with you. Let the, let the weight of that just sink into your heart for a moment. Listen, that, that promise, I will be with you, is not only given here to Gideon, that promise is given by Jesus Christ at the Great Commission to all of his disciples and to all of his church. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and I will be with you even until the end of the age. That's an awesome promise. So awesome that it's picked up in Hebrews 13, verse six, I believe, where it says that he promised that he will be with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? My youngest son uh, wakes up from time to time with nightmares. I'm just going to be honest because my wife's in the front row. Um, and, uh, and, and normally it's my wife that, that goes in and takes care of him. But, but I think there was one time, maybe, uh, maybe more, uh, that, that I went in and, uh, and, and, and my youngest son... Uh, He's crying, he's screaming, he's upset, he's terrified. And, and what do I do? Do I need to give him a big story? No, I just pick him up in my arms, comfort him and say, listen, daddy's right here. I'm here with you. And what happens? The crying stops, the fears cease, they vanish. That's what God does with us. The promise that God gives us of behold, I will be with you is an awesome promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. Listen, God didn't come up with some big, great plan for your life, and he didn't say, hey, go and try to accomplish it, and I'm gonna stand back here and watch, and if you don't succeed, well, then you stink, okay? He's not like that. He's right there. He's in the middle of it, caring for us, leading us, helping us, encouraging us every step of the way. That's what he's doing in this text with Gideon, and it's pretty cool how he does it. The promise of God's 
promises is awesome for us. But listen, there's another thing that God does right here in Gideon's life, and he does it in our life as well. The second thing, he reveals to us his presence. He reveals to us his presence. Why don't you look down in your Bible to verse 20, and we're going to read verses 20 through 24 right now, uh, because this is where things change for Gideon. This is where Gideon goes from being the man-fearing, self-fearing guy to being the God-fearing guy who is all in for everything that God calls him to. Let's take a look. Verse 20. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat with the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Here it is. This is key. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. In other words, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. I'm not going to survive this. For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands in Ophrah, which, is, which belongs to the Abizrites. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? That God reveals his presence to Gideon in a miraculous way. He reveals his presence to him. He shows him who he is in this passage. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. God reveals, hey, listen, here's who I am. Gideon perceives it. He sees it. He gets it. And if you follow the story, this is the turning point in Gideon's life. This is where everything changes for him. I think there's a lot going on in this passage right here. I think it's good for us to think about this for a second. Who was it that came to Gideon back in verse 11? It was the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? Who is that? It's an interesting phrase, you know, and I think it's good for us. I don't want to get hung up here, but I think it's good for us to kind of dig into this a little bit because we kind of, as you follow the text, it kind of goes back and forth through the text. The angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the angel of God, the Lord, the angel of the Lord, right? And, and there's something going on in this text that Okay, hands up if you think that this is, okay, there's no regular average angels. I think if we were in the presence of an angel right now, we would all be absolutely blown away, okay? But is this, is this hand up if you think this is an angel in the regular sense of the way that we would use the word angel, okay? Maybe you're not sure, okay? I, I'm gonna go with no, though, okay? I'm gonna go with uh, my hand up is something else is going on here, something awesome, something glorious, something magnificent, and, and this is the angel of the Lord. That is his title, okay? But is he, uh, you know, an angel as in a created being? I don't, I don't think so, okay? I don't think so. Here's why. 
because it goes back and forth between the angel of the Lord and then he's given the title of the Lord. And then Gideon, it says that he perceives that he is the Lord, okay? And then he says, alas, my Lord, my God. And the angel doesn't correct him, okay? There's something going on here. When we see the word angel here, this is important. When we see the the word angel here, we need to think messenger, Okay? We need to think messenger. We definitely don't want to think uh, you know, created being with, with wings that flutters around or floats on clouds. Okay, That's totally wrong. Uh, but, but we shouldn't be thinking that this is just like any other angel appearance that we would see maybe in the Gospels. There's something unique going on here. This is what uh, theologians would call a theophany or a Christophany, which would be a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord, okay? A pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord, okay? There's something unique happening here. At many times in the Old Testament, uh, we see the angel of the Lord, that title, the angel of the Lord is used interchangeably with the Lord, okay? The word Adonai, Let me just give you a few other examples of this. You can jot these down if this is interesting to you. Uh, It actually would make a great little study for you. I think you'd be blown away by what you would find, okay? Just a few references, three references that you can look into. Genesis 32. Genesis 32. They're not up on the screen, so you'll have to write quick. Genesis 32. The second one, Exodus 3. The third one, Exodus 13, 21. Now, there's lots more. There's lots more where we see this, but here's three. Let me just break these down to kind of explain what's a little bit of what's maybe going on here in this text. Okay, the first one, Genesis 32. Jacob wrestles with a man and then realizes that it's the Lord. Okay, anyone remember that story? Okay, Jacob wrestling with, with a man and then he realizes it's the Lord and he names the place Peniel which means I have seen the face of God. Interesting, okay? Not a regular man. There's something unique going on there. Second one, Exodus 3. Moses meets the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. And he is named as the angel of the Lord. And then right there, a couple verses later, and it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses from the burning bush. And then a couple verses later, the Lord that spoke to Moses from the burning bush says, I am the God of, and he explains who he is in all of his glory. Pretty cool, isn't it? Pretty amazing. Last one, Exodus 13, 21, when Israel is fleeing from Pharaoh, leaving Egypt, we read that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, or in a cloud, and by night in a pillar of fire. Then flip over to Exodus 14, 19, and we read that the angel of the Lord was going before them. Listen, the angel of the Lord and the Lord are often used interchangeably in the Old Testament. We see that here in this text, don't we? We see that in uh, verse 12, in the address to Gideon. The Lord is with you. See the irony there? Isn't that cool? Gideon's like, no, he's not. The angel's like, oh yeah, he is. 
right? And then we see it a little bit later. We see it in verse 14 or verse 15, where he's referred to as the Lord. And then again, we see it over in verse uh, 22, where we see that Gideon perceives that it is the Lord. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord. And then in verses 23 and 25, but the Lord said. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Gideon gets a glimpse of God in some of his greatness, and his life is completely changed. It's a remarkable transformation that happens here. I really want us to get this at this point in Gideon's life. Up until this point, Gideon is a fearful man. Gideon is a weak man. Gideon is a man that really has no hope of doing anything going anywhere for the Lord. And God comes and he gives him a promise and God reveals a bit of his presence to Gideon. And that changes Gideon's life. And that gives Gideon, a brand new source to his fear. Before Gideon's fear was completely horizontal. It was human focused. It was focused on others. It was focused on himself. God shows up and Gideon's fear is now completely vertical. His fear is of the Lord now. He is filled with awe, filled with reverence, willing to do whatever the Lord calls him to in his life. This is amazing. I love how Paul Tripp summarizes this. I think we've got a quote that we'll put up on the screen here. Paul Tripp uh, summarizes it this way, and he says, God's response to Gideon's fear is very helpful here. He didn't work to pump up, pump up his self-confidence. He didn't do that because Gideon's problem was not first that he feared his inadequacies, no, his problem was an awe problem. Gideon failed to fear God in the God is with me and able sense of what that means. So Gideon was terrified of leading Israel anywhere. Wow, isn't that insightful for our lives? The fears of this life, whatever they are, look so large when our eyes are not on the Lord, don't they? But just one glimpse, one glimpse of his glory, eyes on the Lord for a moment, and the fears of this life dissipate, they melt away. Isn't that insightful? Gideon's fear problem wasn't his biggest problem. His biggest problem was that he had an awe problem. He didn't fear the Lord. He didn't stand in awe of the Lord as he should have. And God shows up in his life and God corrects that in an instant. And listen, that's what the Lord wants to do in your life. That's what the Lord wants to do in my life today. Listen, if, if fear is a struggle, if any of those things, insecurity, you name it, is a struggle, here's what the Lord wants to do in your life. God wants to show you his greatness. He wants you to see his glory. He wants you to get a full new look at him God has one solution to our fear problem. It's God. 
It's not, it's not counseling. It's, it's not, you know, self-help. It's not any of these things. God's one solution to all of our fear problems, to all of our doubts, to all of our failures is God. Look to God. Be in awe of God. As the Puritan authors used to say, for every one look, or for every 10, yeah, sorry, every one look you take inward, take 10 looks upward and behold your God and be absolutely and remarkably changed by his glory. That's God's solution to our fear problem. That's God's solution to Gideon's fear problem. If we could just wrap our minds around that, man, we would quit dilly-dallying with all of these things that are never gonna bring us freedom and we would move forward in faith maybe for the first time or at least in a way like never before. Church, if we would get that this morning, that the ultimate solution to all of these problems is to look and behold Jesus Christ in all of his glory, that would change everything. I don't know how else to say it. Gideon was fearful. Gideon was insecure. Gideon was weak because he feared all the wrong things and he didn't fear the right thing and he didn't believe that God could conquer everything. And he was stuck. Maybe you're in that place this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're saved, but you're stuck. You're in a rut this morning that you just can't seem to get out of the fears of of life, the fears of the world, the fears of raising children, the fears of job security, the fears of sharing the gospel with coworkers and family members is overwhelming to you. And instead of seeking boldness in the Lord, instead of doing that, you've said, I'm just not gonna bother. I'm just gonna try to get by by flying under the radar and going unnoticed. Listen, Don't waste your life. God's given you one life to be lived for his glory. God blesses those who are bold for him. God equips those who are bold for him. Listen, we're all inadequate. We are all unqualified, but God qualifies the unqualified. He equips his people for leadership. God does one other awesome thing here in this passage. And God fulfills his promises in a way that only he can get the glory. God fulfills his promises in only a way that he can get the glory. Why don't you go ahead and turn over in your Bibles to Judges chapter 7, verse 2. And let's see how this story ends. I understand that we're skipping a chunk. You can go back and read it later. It's pretty awesome. If you go back and read about Gideon's fleece, how the Lord encourages him multiple times. Go back and read that maybe this afternoon and see how the Lord wants to encourage you and help you and come alongside you in your weakness to do the things that he's called you to. God fulfills his promises so that he gets the glory. Let's see this right here in chapter seven, Judges chapter seven. We'll start at verse two. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. 
Okay, let me just kind of recap really quickly. God calls Gideon. Gideon gets out of the pit. Gideon gets on board with God's mission, and he, he does what God tells him to do, and he tests that uh, through a fleece, okay? He does that a couple times, just making sure, right? You know, toes in the water. Is, is this the right thing? Really, really, God? You're not going to leave me hung out to dry here, okay? And, and God comes through, and the people are rallied and about 32,000 people are rallied to go to war against Midian. Notice what God says here in this passage. Love this. Just like our God, isn't it? Okay, look at it. The Lord said to Gideon, the people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Listen, the Midianites were like a swarm of locusts. They covered the land. As you looked out over the valley, it was all Midianites and, and Gideon's got 32,000. That sounds like a lot, but like against an entire massive army, that's like a drop in the bucket. And what does God say? Hey, you got too many people, Gideon. It's not gonna work. We gotta go back to the drawing board. All right. And what happens? God sends 22,000 of them home He's left with 10,000. And then God narrows it down a little bit further by sending the bulk of them home and Gideon's left with 300. 300 people against an entire army. You see how God's setting this up so that only he can get the glory? That's what he's doing. That's what he wants to do in our lives too. He wants us to live in such a way so that only he can get the glory. And so God works in some pretty amazing ways here in the rest of this story and, and Gideon is still fearful to some degree, but the cool thing is, is that after chapter six, verse 22, we don't ever see Gideon being held back by his fear. We see him only going forward. Yes, he is fearful, but he is not disobediently fearful. And he goes forward and, and God speaks to Gideon over in verse 10. And he says this, chapter seven, but if you're afraid to go down, Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And so Gideon goes down with his servant, and they listen, and they overhear one soldier telling another soldier about a dream that he had. And the dream is that this barley cake rolled down into the camp of Midian and knocked the tents down. And the one guy says, well, this is obviously Gideon. He's going to come down and destroy us. The Lord has given us into his hand. What do you think that did in Gideon's life? And that encouraged him, right? In fact, it encouraged him so much that it says that like he, he worshiped. Like he just, he bowed the knee right there, right? Just he worshiped the Lord right there. And he went back refreshed in strength, encouraged, ready to go. And that's awesome, awesome how God delivers the Midianites into Gideon's hands, amazing. You gotta read this this afternoon, honestly. Take some time, it's beautiful, okay? God sets this up so that only he can get the glory. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to work in such a way through you and through me so that only he can get the glory. God chooses the inadequate. God qualifies the unqualified. Why? Why wouldn't he choose the great and amazing people of this world, the strong and the courageous? Why would he choose the weak? He does it so that only he 
will get the glory. That's amazing. Now let's just bring this all into focus for us this morning. This isn't a story that just happened 3,000 plus years ago. But really the story of Gideon that we read here is an illustration. It's a picture of the power of redemption. It's a picture of the gospel is what it is, of how God can take any life, no matter how far gone, and use it for his purposes, save it and use it for his glory. The story of Gideon is a picture of the gospel It's a picture of God at work in someone's life to save them and to use them for his name and for his kingdom. And listen, Gideon, Gideon may have been the greatest rescuer in Israel at the time. But church, we have a greater rescuer, don't we? Don't we? Gideon might have been the greatest rescuer in Israel. He might have delivered the people from the Midianites, but we've got a greater rescuer. We've got a rescuer who has not delivered us from an invading army. He has delivered us from Satan, from sin, and from death for all of eternity. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the greatest rescuer this world has ever known. And Gideon lived under the old covenant, but we live under the new covenant that is made in the blood of Jesus Christ, that he bought for us by his own life. And Gideon may have had great reasons to be bold, but listen, we've got a greater one. We've got a greater reason to be bold. Gideon was visited by the angel of the Lord, but Jesus Christ has come for us. He has saved us. He has set us free. He has put his spirit within us so that we can live on mission for him and for his glory. Listen, Gideon had a good reason to stand up for God and for his people. Don't we have infinitely more? Gideon caught a glimpse of God's glory and he learned some great truths. But in the gospel, in God's word, we have seen the face of Jesus Christ through faith in all of his perfection. We've been given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us that will lead us into all truth. Gideon received strength to do what God commanded. But church, we have been promised that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We have received that power. Gideon had a great reason to step up and serve the Lord. But in Jesus Christ, we have a far greater reason. Listen, don't let the Gideon complex hold you back anymore. It's time to step up. It's time to step up and do all that the Lord has called you to. I believe God's calling you to that today. I believe God's calling every person in this place to step up for his glory whether you attend elementary school or whether you're a senior citizen, he is calling you to step up for his glory today. The application for this is endless. Take some time this afternoon to think about how it applies specifically to your life and what the glory story that God is going to use you to write for his name and for his kingdom, what that glory story is going to be this next coming year for you. Let's pray.
Lord, we come before you this morning, weak, fearful, insecure, unqualified, insufficient in and of ourselves for the things that you have called us to. But God, the awesome fact is that we come before you this morning, the one who is great and glorious, powerful and awesome, that is like no one else that is able to take a life and completely change it. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you have called us, Lord. We are inadequate, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have equipped us and you are equipping us right now, Lord. Lord, thank you that you will use our lives for your glory. Oh, Lord, would you receive all of the glory for our lives? Lord, I wanna pray over us right now. God, for those that are here this morning, that are feeling you tugging on their heart this morning, saying, it's time to step up. It's time to step out in faith for the Lord for the first time or to be refreshed in stepping out in faith for the Lord right now. Lord, would you do that work in their lives? Lord, would you cause it to be followed through to completion, Lord? Would you strengthen them? Would you encourage them, Lord? Would you come alongside them as you came alongside Gideon, Lord? Would you do that, God? Lord, would you do it in such a way that only you can get the glory? Lord, I trust in faith that you're gonna do great things with us as a church, Lord. But Lord, please, please do it so that man will not get the glory, but only you will. Come and do it for the sake of your son. In his name we pray, amen.